could call this going deeper part three, growing in the hidden places. I say part three because we really had, uh, we had, uh, man, we had a few voices uh, just preparing us for a week of fasting and prayer last week. Um, those, the, that, that particular recordings were, were edited and then resampled and, and posted up to the web for you guys to listen to. Um, just uh, different ones amongst us. Uh, Jim was, of course, leading last Sunday for us and just preparing us, preparing our hearts for a, a week of, of fasting and prayer. And, and I thought dovetailing with this, I, I really wanted to see us finish off on this note of going deeper and just one particular aspect of our relationship with God and, and the importance of, of the hidden places, what God does in the hidden places in us. And a hidden places refers to a couple of things in our lives. It, it refers to, to our past. Um, sometimes hidden places for us can be a time of safety, and other times it, uh, a time of necessity. Um, maybe not, in a, not a comfortable time. You know, maybe a, maybe a time when you felt like your life has been put on hold and all the things that you thought you and Jesus were going to do together or that you had planned for your life just seemed to get shelved. So I want to talk this morning about what God's doing in the midst of those hidden places because, you know, God doesn't waste anything of your life, even some of your poor decisions. How he does that, that's the greatest mystery of all, isn't it? How he takes my poor decisions, your poor decisions, and he turns them around for good. Well, let's pray, um, because I'm hoping and praying that this is giving you a, a light, that there's going to be a message that's going to give you some hope, if that's you today just laboring in some of that. Um, Maybe just some, some insight and maybe just some reflection on how you spend your, your, your day-to-day life now. Like, what do you spend your time on? And So, Father, we, we, uh, we welcome you here. Of course we welcome you. And, God, we say that we're, we're actually desperate for you. Truth be known, we really are desperate for you. And so we, we really, we invite you, Jesus, just to come and reveal yourself today through your word and through our time of ministry here today. I want to start us off reading out of Luke's gospel, chapter 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And now after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. I just find that so funny. (laughs) 
Gee. I don't know if I'm supposed to edit that out or not, but... Oh, man, isn't this like so much of our life? We're going places, <laughs> thinking Jesus is with us. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And where are you? And he's saying, well, where are you? Like, <laughs> did you fail to read that last memo? <laughs> We're never going to get through this. <laughs> oh, boy. Now you sound like my wife. That's not... <laughs> What was the one thing Jim said to it is at our meeting on Saturday? Remember that, Jim? What, what, did, what did you say about your wife, Danielle? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, oh, Jim, Jim Fast said that Danielle mentioned to read the gospel of, or not the gospel, the book of Joshua. And, and I said, I said, <laughs> I said to Jim, it's always a good idea to listen to what Danielle says. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> to which Danielle said, that's why we've been married 53 years. <laughs> so listen, if, if that's all you take home today, that's good, right? I've said to you that often the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like my wife, right? And it's true. It's, it's painfully true. So let's try this again. Wow. Talk about <laughs> Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 49. Why were you looking for me, he asked. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Before Jesus, before he fully stepped into his public ministry, he spent nearly 30 years in near obscurity. Do you know that? And I want to maintain with you that it, he did that in a, and I believe a preordained in a sacred place of hiddenness. We know that the rumors of his birth eventually caused something of a stir, and especially to Israel's ruling vassal king, Herod. But to most, it seemed like nothing more than rumors of some unnamed, from some unnamed sources who bore stories of heavenly visitations and, and a handful of common shepherds heralding the scene of a child born to a young virgin girl in a crude stable in the old Canaanite settlement of Bethlehem. Here in Luke's gospel, we learn about him at the age of 12. But then we hear little else until he begins his ministry as an adult. Have you ever wondered about that? We know only that the whole while that he was hidden away. And in that time of being hidden away, Jesus flourished as a child and he matured into a man of God. That's what it says, doesn't it? That's, that's, the, that's the only line we get. Luke 2, 52 Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Luke's summary shares sort of a striking echo from the Old Testament's recount from the prophet Samuel during his time of maturation. Do you, do you remember Samuel, the prophet Samuel? The minister, Samuel. 1 Samuel 2.26 said, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. And again he writes, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. See, unlike any of our members of the British royal family who've, man, I, I feel for them, who've been put on display. Our scriptures and our historical tabloids are remarkably absent of the day-to-day -day accounts of the world's most important royalty of God's son himself. Instead, what we know is that through those unseen years, Jesus grew in wisdom and relational favor with God. And he matured as an influential force of life among people around him. And all the while, 
he embraced the hidden and the slow work of God in his life. For me personally, I'm reminded of the opening lines from Isaiah's prophetic text for the suffering servant. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a, a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to, majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. How many times have you read that and that just sort of stuck with you? God's road to power is marked with hiddenness. The true authority isn't something of entertainment. Today's teaching is largely influenced by a capture from this author right here. Are any of Anybody familiar with Alicia there? You know her? You know? See, we've hardly heard of her. Isn't that? That's awesome. But she was inspired to consider those largely unaccounted for in those hidden years of Jesus' life. She was encouraged and influenced by things that were largely unseen. If you're an artist even a musician of any sort. But we often sometimes call those unseen places like negative spaces. It's the negative space that in fact influences the real focus of our attention. See, we read the scriptures and, and we're, we're encapsulated with all of the things that Jesus did and the people that he influenced and all of the sort of remarkable Twitter-worthy events that take place in his life, right? But Alicia, she's, she's captured by the things that are not seen. And what we're all invited to consider is that only really three years, less than 10% of Jesus' earthly days are, are visible through the writings of the Bible, through our Gospels. But over 90% of the time, he walked among us, cleverly tucked away and, and unseen, People drawn to Jesus were surrounding him for a myriad of reasons and for their own personal needs. And, and I believe by a spiritual drawing and a hunger that they couldn't even put words to. And when Jesus became successful, he drew crowds of people that would have made him king and usurped that King Herod and those Romans and kicked their, you know, butts. 
right outside of their Davidic borders and lines and reestablish their kingdom. People were attracted to him, but for, for very different means. At a glance, though, most onlookers only saw the tip of, an, of the iceberg of who Jesus really was and he is. It's kind of funny talking about him in past tense. That's impossible to do. How could they even begin to imagine the unwavering eternal greatness of God that was growing just beneath the surface of Jesus himself? It's a good question. And probably the best person to take some advice from would be, what, Jesus himself? Do you remember that old button you could wear and the question you could ask whenever you were in a dilemma? What would Jesus do? What would he do? I mean, that really is a sincere question. How would he answer that? But I'll tell you, for starters, Jesus, you need to see that Jesus embraced a life that was defined and recognized through hiddenness. Hiddenness defined so much of him. And during his time of ministry, Jesus, it was said, was, went, went away often, didn't he, to pray. Isn't that what our, our gospel stories tell us? They just kind of insert them here and there, don't they? He needed to temporarily escape the, the press of the crowds and the burden of people's multiplied needs. With his life, and with our lives, it's critical that we not mistake the unseen parts of our lives and not see them as unimportant. From God's perspective, those hidden and anonymous seasons of our lives are preciously sacred places. Precious to him. Let me say that again. From God's perspective, those hidden and anonymous seasons of our lives are preciously sacred places. They are quite literally foundational to us. They're formative for faith and for life and, and for flourishing while we're on this earth. They're not to be avoided, but they're to be embraced. Like our lives of prayer, the unseen parts of our lives and our journey are not meant to be seen as a means to an end. I'm praying this so I get that, right? I'm fasting so that I get my way, I mean God's way, right? <laughs> Whoops. Well, he may answer you, but maybe not the way you think. They're not meant to be a means to an end, but they are meant to be a state of simply being. Being still. 
and knowing of being fully human, being fully at rest, being unrushed, unhurried or pushed, learning to recognize the voice of our great shepherd who watches over us and being led to follow him. Mary certainly understood this. Remember Mary from the New Testament. Mary and her sister Martha. I love them both equally. But when Jesus arrives at her house, Jesus said that she chose to set aside all the other household responsibilities and sat at his feet because she chose something of much more value in the moment. She recognized the moment and she sat at his feet. You know, I don't think that Jesus was chastising Martha but in fact, he pointed out your, your word about many things, Martha. But see, your sister, she's, she's chosen the good thing. That wasn't Jesus setting her up. Now get back in the kitchen because there's twice as much to do. <laughs> it was, I think, an invitation for her. Why don't you come and sit down with Mary? And by the way, thank you for how you're serving all of us here. I, th I think that that might have summed some things up. Learning to embrace the unseen and the hidden places is a powerful lesson learned. And a principle we need to exercise in order to thrive in a world that is driven and running out of control. Hiddenness is the birthplace of true spiritual greatness. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then you need to embrace this place of hiddenness. Hiddenness is formative in the life of growing up in the Lord. And it's essential in our ability to navigate through his calling. It was essential to Jesus, formative in his early years. It was essential for him to navigate his way as the son of God and, and the revealed savior of the world. That is a lot of pressure. <laughs> I hope none of you are trying to do part two on that one. It's been done. There's not, there's not a sequel if there's a sequel, it's just you living out of all of the things that Jesus has done and given to you. Carrying on. Jesus knew with every fiber of his being who he was. Do you know that? When was that formed? While he was in ministry? In the womb? I think that's a good place to start, isn't it? 
Because there was going to be a lot of pressure on him to be certain things, wasn't there? Right? But he knew who he was and who his father was. And he learned it by living out of the intimate and secret place with his father. Psalm 91, Jesus himself would have read this. Whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The disciples recognized it in Jesus, didn't they? Throughout their ministry, they often saw Jesus retreating to spend time alone with God. Just like he did as a kid. He had to be with his father. Then they saw him come back strengthened and refreshed in a powerful way. They recognized that something had happened to him while he hid himself away from the crowds and even from them, even from his closest friends. So they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. <laughs> That's a good request. They wanted what he experienced in the secret and in the hidden places. That hidden place of prayer. The pattern of Jesus' whole life is meant to be a model for us. His life on earth wasn't just the parts that we see written on these pages it can't be subscribed to just the facts and the information that we glean from our scriptures. No, those are, those are good references. They are a witness to things that are eternal, and in them there is the power of salvation. But they are an invitation to live as he lived. His call to follow him is an invitation to be drawn into the hidden places, just as much as we are drawn to be the hands that reach out to people. I say that because I remember that as one of the points that Alita had made about what she felt and saw Jesus inviting her to. Jesus was inviting her to be the, and us to be the, his hands to people inviting her, and she was asking the question, well, how can I do that? It's a great question. I would say to you that if we're going to follow Jesus, it will mean being invited to carrying the burden of our own cross. But it will be equally an invitation to live and to move in the anointing and the authority of his resurrection life and power. God help us if there's no resurrection when you include the cross. I can tell by the evidence of his resurrection life right here. You're here because of his resurrection life. You're here because of what he's done on the cross, but you're here because of his resurrection life. 
But I'll guarantee you this, as much as you and I want to be a force for life and for change in this world and in people's lives, we are going to have to press deeper into our own secret and our own hidden lives with Jesus. Yes, it will involve a love and a necessity for the word of God. And I believe that God will give you that hunger for his word. I think that that'll be part of what the Holy Spirit does in you as you press into him. But it will most necessarily include a time of solitude and, and retreat to be alone with God and, and to learn from him. Through this past week, our Camelot Vineyard family has had carved out some time from our busy, busy lives. I, ho I hope some of you were able to do that. We created sacred places in our homes and even in the church's ministry center to pursue the audience of God himself. We committed to going deeper in our relational connection with Jesus. And we did this because we believe that God was calling us to do this. We've done this as individuals and we've done this as the corporate body of Christ. Numbers of our community have included a fast of everything from foods to entertainment. For me personally and for Debbie, I can share with some conviction that it's presented physical and emotional and otherwise challenges to our week. I love you, honey. <laughs> I'm going to say that I felt my personal drive waning. I felt my metabolism slowing down, if not shutting down. <laughs> oh, sugar. Artificial stimulants, come on. I had to push through a solid day of headaches. In fact, both Debbie and I did. We went through the same thing on the same day together. It was really interesting. I experienced discomforting and physical, painful physical effects from an internal cleansing that I thought would never end. I leave it there. I struggled through really some serious changes in my sleeping patterns. And more importantly, I personally had to deal with some highlighted internal struggles of my heart and attitude that I suppose, guess what, surprise to me, have always been there. But they honestly just became a way more pronounced through the week. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. And if God and the Holy Spirit were somehow putting a spotlight on the internal issues of my life, then, then more, Lord. Bring him more. And in a definitive moment when just about everything was going sideways, 
during a morning exercise to help in some work on the youth room renovation downstairs, I felt all of that just suddenly drop off. It didn't happen right away, I will tell you. Fortunately, I had Alan around to help me through it. But it came when just about everything I'd set out to do that morning went stupid. Alan was the bright light in, the mo- in a morning of stupid, right? You know? I had thrown out all of my best intentions for that morning. Do you ever start off a day with all these great things on your list that you're going to get done? Apparently, I failed to share that with Jesus. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I came to a point where I had to simply give up because there's no way I could go forward because I had brought in the wrong tools. In fact, I would brought the wrong door to install. I had just done everything wrong. And I had to fight to even get in the building. I mean, it was just, it was a mess. I had to give up. You know, sometimes giving up is just the sweetest thing you can ever do. I had to throw my hands up. I give up. And then that's when everything dropped and joy came and started to laugh. And then I remembered my counsel to you guys about five weeks ago or four weeks ago saying, you know, in this life, you're going to have to learn to laugh at yourself. Well, I had a really good laugh at myself. It was good. If I can be honest with you, I suffer from over-functioning. And you're all laughing at me saying, you just figured that out, Dave? (laughs) As I'm apologizing to Arthur because I can't say hello to him because I'm busy over-functioning over electronics. Yeah, that's, that's true. I was trying to fit in way too much into my already overburdened schedule. And especially in a week when God was asking me and all of us to be still. Be still and know him. But I'm not getting anything done. See that irony of that? Isn't that crazy? David, this could be so much easier. (laughs) It's true. See, the truth of my day is that I wasn't fighting with the devil, but I I was actually struggling with myself and really struggling with God. Actually, it's probably struggling with my own spirit because my spirit knew better, but the rest of me, ah. But whatever I'd been packing through the week, and, and listen, there were a myriad of different things that came up, and I'm not going to go through them with, with you all here. Uh, suffice it to say, some of my identity was wrapped up in, in there. There were, there were a lot of things going on with me. But it all broke And I I just found God's peace flooding my soul. Wow. God isn't interested in how much you can pack and carry. 
or how much you can get done in the space of any given week or day. Or, but he is interested in you and you and you. He is interested in you. He's interested in me. And he's invested himself in us. And he wants us to be with him. He's invested in us being with him and in our willingness to quiet ourselves and lay down at his feet like Mary and simply enjoy him. Trusting that what he's got for us is going to be good. So I'm nearing my close. And I'm going to ask you something. Would you rather I quote Paul or some centuries-old Cilician poet? Which? Paul. I got one poet. Oh, how about we do both? Ah. See, Paul was in Athens, and he was just heartstruck at all of the idol worship that was going on there. And he found a statue with no name on it. Do you remember that? And turning to the people, Paul quoted from the third century's Cilician, Stoic, philosopher, and poet, Aratus. You knew that. You knew that. Acts 17, verse 28, to a people who don't know him, he says, in him we live and move and have our being. Wow. Such a powerful word wasted on so many people. What? Do you think it was a waste? No, I tell you it wasn't. It was prophetic. It was a pronouncement. It's a call to wake up. Maybe Jesus would like to say this more often over his own church. Remember, church, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. David, it's in me that you live and move and have your being. There were a few converts, by the way. Thank God, Harry. Eh? There were a few saved, but not many. 